Brown people are magic. We already know that. Hey, folks, and welcome to Brown and Out, the podcast where we give voice to LGBTQ people of color in Vermont. Today, we're talking to Sunshine Orta. What up, Sunshine? Hey! <laughs> um, I don't know. What's up? We're at the Pride Center. Um, True. Which is where I work, and it's a beautiful, sunny day out today, which is, you know, <laughs> always a flip of the coin in May in Vermont, so. Yeah, we had kind of a grimy April. We did. Um, but also, shout out, because you know what I mean? There is, um, there's a lesson in the rain as well. There is, okay. and the lesson is everybody's riding their bikes today. I saw, like, 15 bicycles on my way here. It was great. Yeah. Good for the environment. Good good for the environment. I love it. Bless up. Sunshine, if I may be so bold, what are a few things <laughs> that folks should know about you? Um, I'm also a Leo, like Katarina. Shout out to Katarina's... Okay. Uh, interview, but I've I've never shout been out in- to everyone's astrological ah! sign. <laughs> Honestly, you all deserve space to just shine, especially Leos. Uh, oh, ouch, ouch. Okay, dirty. Continue. So you're you're a Leo. So what does that mean to you? Um, I actually don't know, but I I feel like other people care about it. So there you go. Now you know something about me. And you could plot me on a chart. My actually, my boo is like terrified of Leos because his or their grandmother is a Leo, and like their mom was always like, "Leos are the devil. Never talk to a Leo." Be- because of their relationship with their yeah. own mother, yeah. yeah. And then their mom was also like, "Never date a man," and now like they're dating a man who's a Leo, and it's. <laughs> Isn't that so interesting? How things get passed on. <laughs> Isn't it though? I think so. I mean, Um, one thing you should know about me is that I've worn lots of different hats. So right now I'm the transgender programs coordinator at the Pride Center, but I've also been a like scientist research technician. Um, I've been a baker. I have uh, expedited food for the Olive Garden. It's (laughs) it's all sorts of things that I've done in my mere 31 years on this planet so let's um i'll we'll start from the top then your career as a scientist as a scientist um so i have a degree from university of vermont Mm -hmm. in animal science okay cool um i got it only like 10 and a half years after starting college so Shout out oh. to those people who are taking non-traditional paths. Take your time, folks. <laughs> Life will be okay. The story that is already written for you doesn't need to happen. The rest is still unwritten. What? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and after I finished with that, I got a job uh, with Dr. David Kerr in the animal science department. And what I did was I grew cow stem cells from their skin and used that to study their immune systems. So we would like shove evil bacteria at these stem cells and see what sort of like little chemicals they put out in response. It's bizarre. No, no, that sounds like it has the potential to really 
change things. That sounds awesome. And it also sounds like something that Republicans wouldn't like. Is that, <laughs> is that true? Maybe. Or I don't know. Stem well, cells, they don't really like them. Stem cells, but they're from cows. And the stem cells are actually so like people think of stem cells only as coming from fetuses because that's like the big yeah. like, ah. Well, let's talk about that for just one second and break yeah. this part down because I remember, I feel like it wasn't too long ago, but it was a major political um, conversation around whether to support um, the use of stem cells or not. Yeah. And they were from... Fetuses. Human yes. human fetuses, yeah, um, and conservatives did not like that idea. We mm-hmm. everyone was surprised. We were all shocked, but conservatives were we shocked? weren't into it. No, I'm being humorous. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and everyone else was like, "Yeah, but we want to live. Like, we want the opportunity to, you know what I mean, cure, yeah, um, terminal illnesses." Is I mean, well, what is the benefit of what? Why would us crazy liberals? Why would we want to use stem cells in the first place. Can you tell us that? Yeah. So stem cells um, are, they can become whatever, right? So the like basic first grade explanation is you have a cell and uh, in, in your body, a skin cell is different from a liver cell, is different from an eye cell. They're all, they all have special things going on with them. Um, and stem cells are st- cells that aren't, quite formed yet they're little babies and they can become any number of things depending on the then here's here's another shocker there are different types of stem cells um so i worked with stem cells that came from skin from cows and these are adult cows like they're they're not magical special cow fetuses i worked with skin stem cells and um later on i worked with horse stem cells from their bone marrow so it's not like you have stem cells when you're a fetus and then you stop having them. Mm. So anyway. Fun um, fact. <laughs> so, I mean, so we have this ability and the stem cells I worked with grew really well in a lab. You could put them in a little Petri dish and feed them very specific things and they would grow up. And then you could use them as a way to experiment on the cow without actually like getting the cow sick. So we could, like, I don't have any ethical problems with shoving a whole bunch of bacteria at this skin stem cell in a culture, but I wouldn't really want to do that to a whole cow who's living and breathing. And, and then what, in your opinion, is the opposition um, when we talk about the use of human stem cells? What is, where does the opposition come from? Um, well, I think it's a complicated world. Like different people have different relationships to what life means and what birth means and what life is worthy and what life is not worthy. Um, so like, you know, go ahead and experiment on or slaughter a cow, but like this fetus that maybe wasn't even viable is still life to this human. So, you know, the the definitions are up for people's opinions and debate. We've gotten deep into this. We I I just wanted to talk about <laughs> We ended but, up talking about fetuses and I mean that's just normal though. Okay. That's a regular Saturday afternoon for me. That's anyway. true. Um 
No, well, I wanted to talk about your career in science. Yeah, that's true. So um, I did some science-y things <laughs> that were involving animals and, you know, they were fun and they were a nice thing and they're setting me up well for my next foray which is I'm going to physician assistant school in the fall. Okay. So I'm going to come back and I'm going to be doctor to all the fatties, freaks, and queers. And <laughs> that's the plan. That's always been the dream, though, hasn't it? No. Um, actually, so I get really, like, if, if it were always the dream, like, if things were that simple, I don't think I would have taken ten and a half years to finish my undergrad. So I started out undergrad, like, taking third-year Japanese language mm. and some education classes and being, like, kind of flailing and just being like, I don't know what I'm doing, but... Is that called finding yourself? Yeah. I think it's also called being 18. What a great time to find yourself, right? What a, what a terrible time to find yourself, also. I don't know. Well, you're not really prepared for much. Right. But, um... Well, and, you know, I found that, and this is my plug for non-traditional student life. Um... Shout out non-traditional <laughs> student life. <laughs> Going out into the big bad world and, like, actually doing what I could of these things gave me more information than sitting in college. So, like... Real world experience yeah. was an education unto itself. Is that what you're saying? Right. Well, and it helped sort of funnel me into like, what do I want to do? Because maybe it's not what I envisioned when I was 18. Um, and there are so many people that go in and get a degree. And then like three years later, they're like, shit, I don't want to do this. And then they have to figure out something else. Or um, they find that people aren't as receptive to their degree as they thought they might be. <laughs> well, yeah, unfortunately. Like, oh, that's cool. We need, yeah. <laughs> do, the... you, do you want to be a bartender? <laughs> hey, no disrespect to anyone who tends bar. That was not a dig at bartenders, by the way. Yeah, well, you know, and even with, like, quote-unquote, like, more lucrative degrees, my sister has a degree in um, computer programming, and started out her career after college working overnight at Target building their shelves. I mean, someone's got to build those shelves. Someone's got to build those shelves. In all it just fairness. happened to be my sister. It, it's a compliment in a way. Yeah? It's like you can competently build shelves. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like, so another random aside is that, like, my partner is dealing with a lot of stuff right now. And one of the things they're dealing with is, like, feeling like the jobs they're qualified for or the jobs that they would be able to do right now are, like, from the story of their life below their station. Right. right. Because, you know, people like me don't build shelves at Target at two in the morning. Right. Well, honey, guess what? <laughs> some of us, we all build shelves at Target at 2 in the morning at some point in our lives, maybe. Um, if you watch enough behind the music, <laughs> you'll find that even Janice John, I'm kidding. My first job was working at a convenience store making smoothies and coffee drinks and sandwiches and doing inventory and checking people out. For $5.15 an hour. That sounds so, like a lot of responsibility. Can I just say that? Not all at once, luckily. So, but, but really, that sounds like... Yeah, it's a lot to pin on an 18-year-old, but mm. 
Yeah. But you did it. I did it. And you're all the better I'm for magic. it. So I think um, when you were saying going back to like PA school was always the plan, mm. I have this like really like bitter bone in my body. For Let's talk about <laughs> it. Let's get it out there. Um, you know, people are like, follow your passion. Do what you're passionate about. And I'm like, girl. I've heard people of privilege say that before. I know. Well, and like, so I have, so people don't necessarily know this about me from outside. I have pretty severe depression. And you know what I'm passionate about? Sleeping. And like laying in bed and sometimes getting up to eat. So like this idea of like having passion about a thing and that being the requisite for getting a job in it, which magically, obviously there's well-paying jobs that you can survive on that have to do with your passions, obviously. Um, I don't know. I just get really, really bratty about it. I think, you know, like if you come from a lot of money and you have that like safety net, there's space to explore passion in this way that is not real to lots of people who like, no, 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 I need to eat. (laughs) So it's important that we sort of check ourselves and give ourselves a second before we start giving advice to folks about what they should and shouldn't do with their life basically right Right. (laughs) um so you mentioned wearing different hats different hats uh another hat you mentioned was that of the baker the baker the baker's cap you've donned that before i have it's floppy and it's white right Uh, yeah. Let, let's expound on that if you don't mind. Um, I love baking. I dislike that it happens at two in the morning. Traditionally, <laughs> right? Traditionally, yes. Yeah. Um, I dropped out from New England Culinary Institute. Oh. Yeah. I'm a multiple time dropout. I've dropped out of so many things. I am. I'm neither impressed <laughs> nor disappointed. Okay. Um But so I, you know, get up at three in the morning and bake cookies for people who want to buy them and still... Do you have your own business? I did at one point. I used to have chickens in my backyard. Oh, okay. And I That's very Vermont. It's very Vermont. Can I I say that? It is. Okay. Um, And I would bake things with their fresh eggs. And then like occasionally, like one jerk chicken... Um, Wait, not jerk chicken. No, but jerk just like chicken. a jerk who's a chicken. But okay, different yeah. than the meal. Yeah, they all had names. Um, and this chicken just like stole off into the tall grass for like a month. And I was convinced this chicken was dead. I was like, okay, some fox or something got this chicken. Like, rest in peace, bok bok. Mm. Um, and then I go and I find this nest in the tall grass what? like a month later and there's like a mound of eggs, like 30 oh, eggs in Lord. a pyramid oh. that this chicken had just been hoarding all for itself. Laying them and hoarding yeah. their own yeah. eggs. Yeah. Is that, you wouldn't call it that though. That's like their eggs. It's their eggs. Uh, yeah. So that's Yeah, like that's their, true. Okay. But what an interesting sight to discover. 30 eggs all in a pile. The problem is that after a month of being outside and there was no rooster to, like, fertilize said eggs, so they weren't, you know, going anywhere, um, 
Yeah, they kind of got a little rotten. So then I had 30 rotten eggs to figure out what to do with. These are the stories. (laughs) This is the real Vermont. People don't know. Yeah. They don't even know. They don't know. And this was in Milton, Vermont. Um, Milton. Milton. Shout out. For those of you who have ever been there, congratulations. There's not much there. They have a huge Hannaford now, which is a grocery store. Um, I worked at a horse hospital up there once. Many, many hats. Many hats. I am just... I would compare notes. So I have a friend who's like a pediatric doctor and, you know, would would spend days in the NICU, in the neonatal ICU. Yeah. And I would spend my nights in the ICU with the horses. And, Mm. you know, I'd be like, I just hung, you know, five gallons of fluid for this horse. And this person's just like, I just hung 100 milliliters. And it's just... Like the babies and horses, babies and horses, very different. Comparing notes, how cute, how cute. That's adorbs. The mini horses were the best. Actually, one one of my favorites was the fattest mini donkey I've ever seen. In the Guinness, was it like a? I hope so. Okay, I hope so. It was just like made of fat rolls, and I like I love fatties. I have to say that. Like my my grinder profile says like. I love fats and femmes. Right. Affirm, affirm. Um, because all too often, grinder profiles do not affirm those identities. Mask for mask. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I think that's awesome that you're affirming um, folks in your grinder profile when so many, oh, there's so many overt and also subtle ways that people discriminate in their grinder profiles. Can you tell me about your. Oh my grinder experience. Heaven. Oh my lord in heaven. See, no, this is cuz <laughs> as I was making notes for our interview today, I recalled this time um we were here at the Pride Center actually for um Glam. Uh-huh. Which can we can you just say what Glam is for 3 and a half seconds? Yeah, 3 and a half seconds. <laughs> uh Glam is a group for youngish, you know, 18 to 35-year-old gay bi and trans men to meet up and hang out. That's about it. Right. And we were here um at a Glam meeting one night and you mentioned just for a second briefly sort of like a synopsis of your your grinder experience. <laughs> And I wanted, I thought about it, and I wanted to know if you wanted to share that with Absolutely. the folks today. Yeah. It, I mean, I'm not saying it was bleak, but it was honest. <laughs> it was honest to your experience. It's a little bleak. It's a little bleak. I, I've got to say, like, I have never hooked up with anybody on Grinder, and that's not, like, a dig at people who do. It's just a dig at the people who try and hook up with me on Grinder. <laughs> Ouch. Um... And so, like, there's actually a whole blog. It's called Trans Men on Grinder. Oh, it's a blog? There's, yeah, well, I, it's a tumble, I don't know, whatever the young people are doing these days. <laughs> it's something. Google it, folks. Trans Men on Grinder. Google that. Yeah. So, and it's just, you know, it, being a person of color on Grinder is one thing. So then you get the people that, like, I'm Latino, so people want, like, this, like, Latino top masculine fantasy where I'm this like cholo 
gangster gangster who's gonna <laughs> name like, sunshine <laughs> f them hard yeah. Uh-huh. yeah isn't that like have you ever experienced that kind of like desire from people to like fit into this racial stereotype i'm so my profile says black and they want to know if it's true. They want to see your BBC. You know what I mean? And I don't even have to, like, ask, like, if what is true. Like, Right, you know. It's just all kind of out there. Um, but fortunately, that isn't frequent. I wouldn't oh. say that's a common um, thing. But if we're getting there, that's where it goes pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, if folks are going to play that card, it's like, so... Uh, is it, uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's, okay. I also, though, people um, will assume that I'm of Latin descent as well. Yeah. That's sort of, honestly, the f- the first thing I get before even um, that other sort of um, stereotypical talk. Ooh, are you up. Latino? Yeah, and it's, no, you said that people from you, they want a sort of like... Top fantasy. Yeah. But from a lot of white men who I don't know, let's say they're strangers, we don't know each other, they assume I'm Latino, um, they feel like a lot of um, people of Latin descent are bottoms and are just, you know what I mean? They want a smooth bottom boy? They need that smooth Latin (laughs) twink. And it's just like, why? I it boggles my mind and just I don't know very simply I wish we didn't put ourselves in these narrow little rigid uh-huh. boxes. I grew up I I had this weird idea when I was a child. I'm like, "Oh, like gay people can't be racist." Cuz they no cuz they know they know what it's like to be discriminated against. Uh-huh. So they're not gonna like right. turn around and discriminate against people. And then you downloaded Grinder, and everything was then poof. All the fantasies gone. You date, you meet people in the real world. They um, think that people of color might smell different than white people. Stuff like that. You know some, what I mean? Some do in like really delicious ways. Oh my lord! So but that's like, but that's just because people smell different, and it's not course. because they're a person of color. It's because they use some delicious bath products that person, I don't want to know. Person to person, we have different odors, but it that was something I heard one time, and I thought it was especially strange. You Even, don't smell like a black person. I just what the <laughs> what even. Is that where do I start? I the yeah. fact that a person would have a baseline for smells <laughs> is upset is upsetting to me. What is white smell? That is what I'm getting at. It's mm, as if like smell. that's normal and everything else is like vanilla cupcakes from the grocery store. Okay, see, not even good ones. This Just is sort of. This is a loving podcast. Oh. We are not here to say that all white people smell like cupcakes. My that mom is, is crazy. White. That's true. Oh, shout out. Shout out for shout the out mixed wh- race people. Well, shout out to white mothers. We both have them, apparently. White I didn't know that. I do. I have a white mom. Her name is Lorna Kay. Shout out Lorna. And shout out Brenda, my mother. Oh, Brenda. It's almost Mother's Day. How it's about that? It's almost Mother's Day. Well, we might as well shout them out. 
Now, do we talk about what it's like <laughs> being people of color with white parents? Do we open up that do barrel of snakes? There? I don't know. Were we, were we done talking about you being a baker? Yeah, we are. <laughs> okay. Um, people of color with white, well, what is it like being a person of color with a white parent or white parents? I don't know. People, um, are often surprised that she's my mom. Uh-huh. Because we don't really look that similar. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, in, in especially, so I went to the, like, n- uh, Northeast Queer and Trans People of Color Conference, mm. and, you know... In certain places, there's like a like Ooh, white people suck vibe. Is that was that your experience at this conference? Yeah, and well, let's it was talk like, more about that. And what is the conference? Can we talk more about it? Yeah, it's the Northeast Queer and Trans People of Color Conference. Is it the, annual? Yeah, it's annual. The first one was actually held at UVM, okay. the University of Vermont, because. Cool. You know, like, everybody thinks that Vermont is all white people, but guess what? We have a whole podcast here just about queer <laughs> trans people of color. Yeah, we're out here for sure. Um, so, yeah, there's this conference. It's every year. Um, I presented on decolonizing Latinx. Um, it was a bit of a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> I am sorry. I am sorry that I have so many tangents that I want to get off on. Let's I knew. I knew this, tangents. but I knew this would happen though because you are so interesting to me. I just have so many things. The term Latinx. Latinx. For folks out there, uh, white folks, people of color who may not know, yeah, Latinx. What does the term mean? Latinx. Um, it's the new gender-neutral Latino. Because Latino is masculine, Latina is feminine. Right. Latino uh, was a little awkward. So now we've decided X is the new thing, and who knows how long it'll stick. We'll, fin- we'll figure it out. Okay. Yeah. So you did a presentation I did, at. Yes, at the Northeast Queer and Trans People of Color Conference on decolonizing Latinx. And it was a blank show. It was a blank show. Um, Yeah. So I talked about Latinx indigeneity. And then everybody's like, but I'm also black. And I'm like, yes. And indigenous and white. And it's all a big fucking mishmash because colonization. We're talking about intersectionality, aren't we? Right. We are. And okay, so let's let's go off. Go it on. was it was a you know it was a bit of a, of a difficult space because people have their traumas around who's allowed to own what identity, um, and there's a lot of like needing to fight for our specific identities, and you know like needing to keep ourselves safe from interlopers. Mm. Um, so there were a lot of people there that like felt like they would be an interloper if they said they were part native. You know, or there were people there that felt like everybody there was an interloper who was saying that, or there were people there that felt like other people who don't look black but had black ancestry because the Caribbean, hello. Um, So for those of you who are not up on Caribbean history, um, it had native Taino people lived there. And then Spaniards came and fucked some shit up. And then the Spaniards were like, oh, but we need more people to grow 
this this sugar because we really want this beautiful sugar. Let's bring over some Africans. So now lots of Caribbean people are a mixture of Spaniard, Taino, and African. And like, which one of those can you claim? And like, are you simply Latinx? You know, um, one of the complications that brought me there actually was filling out forms. Mm. Because people who aren't Latinx might not realize that Latinx is not a race on like federal forms. Right. So like when, even when we're doing like HIV and hepatitis C testing here, they're like, okay, what's your ethnicity? Hispanic or not Hispanic? And then you check one, right? And then they're like, okay, now what's your race? And you're like, white, black, Native American or Asian or Pacific Islander. And you're like, none, none of the brown. I don't know. You don't feel represented. It's it's not. It's not represented. So I was like making a case for people checking off whatever the fuck they want, including Native American. And there was a lot of like, woo. It was a spicy workshop. Well, that's a controversial hot take, if it, I may. It is. To some folks. To some folks. It, it can be taken a certain way. Mm-hmm. I feel like the way you intended it, though, is to shine light on the fact that some folks who might also be considered Latinx really predate a lot of European folks right. in this area, in the, in the Caribbean. In the Caribbean, but also like Mexico, South America, right. like my love Katerina. You didn't get to talk to her much about it, but she's native Brazilian, right? Right. She is not Portuguese. Right. Anyway, so it's complicated. And there's a lot of like history and identity to delve into with Latinx people because, you know, there's like with African people, a lot of our our history is erased. Right. That always, if I may uh, bring up, I feel like it's a definitely like a fad right now. This sort of um, genealogical ancestry hunting sort of like. Yeah, everybody wave. doing their 23, 23 and me. <laughs> right. There's a wave that a lot of, I'll say, white folks are on, which means it's trending um, in this country ah! ab- about um, sort of uh, studying your genes and right. your, your lineage. And I don't want to take away anyone's fun, but at the same time, Whenever I hear people talk about it, I feel like it's so clearly um, something that I am not privy to, mm. that I'm just not ever supposed to feel like I can lay claim to, because if I try to look up um, the lineage on my father's side, which is black, yeah. I'm, I feel like I'm just going to find a lot to somebody was sold to somebody be upset about yeah i feel like i'm just going to end up being upset and have a lot of more questions and answers but meanwhile there are a lot of folks from european descent who um just think it's super nifty to uh-huh. find out that they're part of some like i don't know like royal european bloodline or something like that that was you know and that that came out in our workshop too about like some of us don't have access to this or if we did like 
wouldn't be so much fun to figure out. Because, um, like, what if your, you know, DNA test came back and they were like, wow, you're like 40% Nigerian. And then you're like, well, what the fuck does that mean? That was all stolen from me. You know, like, great. Right. 40% stolen. And now I am whatever I am now, which is a new, newfangled thing, thanks to colonization. I mean, but but I feel people of color have been made to and have thrived making up their own identities mm-hmm. for centuries in this country. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. We, it, it's, you do what you have to. And I think we've done a really great job of making the best of it, of not always knowing our exact origin story, but creating the best selves we can be. Uh-huh. So I'll probably just keep doing that. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and forego the DNA testing for now. My actually, so true, true story. Mm-hmm. My parents are totally into it and like, Oh, gifted the whole family DNA tests. Okay. And it's like still sitting in my closet. Like, Oh, you um, haven't done it. I haven't done it. Are you curious? No. Okay. No, I'm not. I don't know. Well, and so like there's this in 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 Native American communities it's really interesting because like white people are often like, "Oh yeah, I'm 1/128th Cherokee." You know, and in Native American communities you either are or you aren't. It's a it's more like a binary. And like you could be mixed race and Cherokee, but you're still fucking Cherokee. If that makes sense. Yeah, I'm Blackfoot. Right. So, like, you're not 1-128th Blackfoot. But but I, I've been saying, this must be the white side in me, <laughs> al- always saying I'm letting people know I'm 1-16th. Which is hilarious. Just say you're Blackfoot. It's America. I am. No, I am. But... So, let me... It's, it's, the, it's sort of um, just the inheritance of mixed folks that everyone will always and forever ask you what you are Uh you know what i mean what what you're made up of but let me let me make an argument oh please here like have you ever heard of blood quantum yes i was recently i watched um this new york times um short little um documentary thing they had on youtube about um Native American folks and how blood quantum. Yes. Yeah. So blood quantum is literally what you were talking about, which is like, I'm one sixteenth this. Um, And, you know, so in Native American communities, it's common to say the only people, the only things we care about blood quantum for are Indians, dogs, and horses. And everybody else just gets to be. And blood quantum was designed to aid in genocide because, you know, the more we mix, the more like generations go by and we're turning into this global society, the less pure bloods there are going to be, which is like weird, like Slytherin Hitler stuff, like pure blooded. Um, and then eventually there's not going to be any left that are pure enough to to count. So by delineating who's who's real and who's not based on blood quantum, you're basically guaranteeing that these traditions, these nations, these languages are going to die. 
So heavy thing to think about, but think about next time you say I'm 116th Blackfoot or you think in your own head, like, what does that mean to be 116th or what does it mean to just be Blackfoot? All right. Heavy. Heavy. Indeed. So the Olive Garden. <laughs> the Olive Garden. So I think the the biggest story I take away from going to the Olive Garden or working at the Olive Garden was that it um it was when I first moved here and I didn't know anybody, didn't really like so I ran away from Florida. I grew up in Florida and did not want to live in Florida anymore. Mm. Why not? <clears throat> Oh, oh Lord. Oh Lord. So I actually grew up in Miami. I am not a city city folk. Um, I come from a long line of not city folk that somehow ended up in Miami. And it was, it was fine, but it was not where I wanted to be. And then I went to undergrad 1.0 is what I call it at the University of Florida, which is in Gainesville, Florida, which is... You know, imagine being the only out trans person in a school with 52,000 students, um, because that's what it was like. It was a huge... So fun? (laughs) Hilarious. Amazing. Yeah. Um, And so I threw a dart at a map and ended up in Vermont and flew up here. I'm sorry, you threw a witch at a whom? A dart at a map. I just... It random... Like I actually do people do people at the Pride Center know that <laughs> <laughs> it's really random that I'm here, guys. Um, the Pride Center actually was one of the first places I went. It used to be on Elmwood Ave in Burlington. Mm. Um, shout out near the post office, um, and I used to hang out there all the time. And so I'm relatively new on staff, but I carry a lot of the history of this place with me. Um, and so anyway. I got to Burlington from Florida in January 10th in 2007, and I promptly decided that this was my chance and I could be anybody I pleased, right? Like, I had no history here. I had no intention of staying here if it didn't work out. Like, just absolute freedom of a blank slate. And I was like, I'm going to be the guy that rides his bicycle around wearing only hot pants. And I did. Work. <laughs> I did. Any day it was over 40 degrees. So there was still snow on the ground. And I'd be like riding my bike in my hot pants down to the Olive Garden. And then I'd like put on a shirt behind the dumpster and go to work. Um, but yeah, it was a nice like four and a half mile commute in my little hot pants. And do they truly have endless soup and salad? They do. Wow. We'll give you... We'll give you smaller salad every time. You know, the first one's big, but we'll we'll make it smaller the second time. The first one is big. You hear that, folks? <laughs> huh. You see how they do? I know. But they'll bring out as many as you want. And breadsticks. Work. People were all about those breadsticks. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Is it endless bread and salad, not soup? Did I, I make up the I soup don't know. part? I don't even remember. Right. Probably. I haven't been there in a minute, I regret to say. Um, I don't think that's really that regretful. Sorry, Olive Garden. 
I mean, shout out OG, obviously. Like, <laughs> we're always gonna go to you in a pinch. Don't worry. That's true. We know you're there. Like, it's <laughs> don't call well, us. We'll call you. Millennials are killing all the chain restaurants. It's the newest. You haven't heard that? Like, Applebee's is, like, going under. For those who like, can't see, I have a quizzical look on my face. Those millennials, they're not eating out anymore. Applebee's is going under? I don't know. Some. But what about the 99? That's what I care about. They're fine. They're good? Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so that, the Olive Garden, though, that was one of your first gigs. That was my first gig in Vermont. Okay. Yeah. Where did that take you? Where did that take me? Um, Well, that took me to dropping out of New England Culinary Institute. No shade after working at the Olive Garden. You said you didn't want to go to food school anymore. No, I was like, (laughs) mm -mm. no. Actually, I got into a bicycle accident like three weeks into the first semester and broke my right hand, which you can't really cook without your right hand if you're right-handed. And they're like, you can carry up to 10 pounds and everything in kitchens is like 50 pounds. So I was pretty useless. I went back to the Olive Garden, like face all messed up and like in a cast. And they were like, sure, we'll hire you. You could be a host. Um, So got to love them for that. And I couldn't write anybody's names down because. Right handed. (laughs) Right. They were like, okay, party of four. I got that. What's the name? Jonathan. And I'm like, your name is Jay now because that's what I can write in the next two minutes. Yeah. Anyway, so that's where Olive Garden brought me. I dropped out of New England Culinary Institute um, again after that. And then I started dating a, a person by the name of Jean-Denis Cuillard, who used to work here at the Pride Center. Um, and we drove across the country together in my little painted Subaru named Patsy. And we moved to Portland, Oregon Oh, for two years. Okay. I was there for two years, um, and as soon as I could, skedaddled back to Vermont. So there's something special here that brings me back every time, and people even are after getting a, a taste of that sweet Portland air. Oh no, the terrible. I'm just, I'm just kidding. It sounds like you didn't favor it. I've never been there. I so Portland is fine. I wasn't cool enough for Portland, Oregon. Like people wouldn't give me the time of day. So. There was, like, a precious few people that I, like, really enjoy and really love from that part of my life. And so, like, one of them that still makes a difference in my life, his name is Wyatt Riot. And he organized, um, organized like, when I got there, a femme cake fight. So they just, like, had a bunch of femmes, like, throwing cake at each other in a park. And a thing called Chunky Dunk, which is a pool party for fat people. And so I was a skinny piece of work back then, and Wyatt was still like, just come! And so I would, like, hang out with all the fatties and go to the pool party. Shout out Wyatt Riot. Yeah. Um, okay. And so, so you've been resettled Resettled. in Vermont uh, since then, for a while now. Since 2010, so it's been... It's been a while. It's been a minute. Mm-hmm. And and what have you been doing uh, in that time? Oh, Lord. Okay, so it started with... So in Portland, I worked for um, 
what I call the outright Vermont of Portland. Oh, okay. It's called Smirk. And it's outright a, Vermont in, in Vermont is what? A queer youth organization. Okay. So I worked for a queer youth organization in Portland for a couple years as an AmeriCorps. Shout out AmeriCorps. Yeah. Life of service or whatever they, <laughs> their tagline is. That sounds correct. <laughs> um, and then I came here and I worked briefly for the school, not the school board. What is it called? This, this, the district, the Burlington School District. And I worked in their diversity and equity unit. How was um, that? It was okay. Um, Dr. Dan Ballon, who is my boss, had a heart attack um, sort of like a couple years after I got here. And, you know, systemic racism was kind of the the driving force in that, from my view. So it's it was an intense kind of time. Um, so Dr. Dan Ballon, his, he lives on in many people's memories as this, like, amazing Filipino um, activist who ran the diversity and equity unit at the Burlington School District. So I did that for a bit. I lived with a person with multiple disabilities, and I helped them out with their life. Um, I worked at a horse barn. I worked at the horse hospital. I've done all sorts of things. And all culminating in me being here at the yeah, Pride Center. Right, yeah. What, let's get into your role at the Pride Center currently. What do you do? Um, so if Katerina is the ambassador of joy. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's an unofficial title, but it's, <laughs> it's real, though. Um, I guess I would call myself the ambassador of fun. So... I help organize events to support transgender people and gender nonconforming people in Vermont. And as part of that, I also run um, queer and trans people of color things. So we recently had a waffle party. We had a waffle party. There mm-hmm. were we filled up my living room with bunch of waffles, bunch of waffles, bunch of black and brown people, um, and our partners and families because I feel like. In Vermont, especially, I, I had this hilarious interaction with a professor once, uh-huh. and they were like, oh, is your partner also Latinx? And I, like, laughed in his face so hard. And I'm like, I am a gay, trans person of color in Vermont, and you think I'm going to find another one of me, and then I'm going to like him and want to date him? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, so many of us. at least in my experience, you know, date people of different races or different experiences because it's just a small community. Um, So it's important for me, for our queer and trans people of color things to be open to our our white partners or white family members. Right. So you're throwing waffle parties. Throwing waffle parties. Um, what else did I do? I got a bunch of trans people and we went out to Barry, which is in central Vermont. Shout out Barry. Yeah. And we went to the bowling alley there and we bowled. What's it called? Which one? Um, the Twin City Family Fun Center. Yes. <laughs> so we went bowling and we did laser tag with like, I don't know, 10, 15 trans people. Yes. Um, I just started a Central Vermont Trans Social Club. Okay. We're going to have an all-ages 
what is it, a board game night in Montpelier in a in like a church basement. And I've invited like all the GSAs. So maybe there's going to be like a trans middle schooler there and there's going to be a trans 65 year old and we're all going to be hanging out together. Yes. Awesome. Um, so basically what I do is just support trans amazingness. One of the things that I really, really loved. What a great job, (laughs) by the way. Um, I had the great opportunity to do the trans day of visibility this year. Okay. So quite often the, the holiday we get, if we should call it that, is mm. the Trans Day of Remembrance. Mm. Um, it's like the one day a year where we pay attention to trans people. And tr- traditionally what we do is we read out the names of trans people who have died. Um, who have been murdered. Yes. Yeah. Not just died. Um, and... You know, so that's the one time we actually get to pay attention to trans people. And when I came out to my parents, like my mom totally cried because she thought that I would be murdered and that nobody would ever love me because those are the stories we get to hear about trans people, right? Um, And so we did this trans day of visibility, which is just the opposite. And we had a hundred people there and all we did was like celebrate how talented and amazing we are. So we had like a trans lady cellist that like played a sonata for violoncello, or we had like a trans or uh, gender nonconforming person who played concertina, which is kind of like a tiny, um, what is this? Motion? Accordion. Tiny accordion. Yes. Yeah. While tap dancing and hula hooping at the same time. Um, so like just that. It's called kind a triple of- threat. <laughs> So just that kind of like, sometimes we're just going to have to have fun in the face of whatever's happening in our lives or even not in the face of it. Just like, no matter who you are, fun is something that you can have. It's a thousand percent necessary, isn't Uh it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So you were the ambassador. The ambassador of fun. fun. Yeah. (laughs) For the Pride Center. I love it. That's amazing. For queer and trans people of color and for trans people in general. Work. (laughs) Miss Vanjie. Are we still doing that? I don't don't know know. if people are. Maybe that didn't catch on with everyone. That's okay. Um, May I ask you? Uh Uh-huh. In your estimation, what does black and brown queer culture in Vermont look like? Oh, man. Um, You know, like any black and brown queer culture, it is definitely not one thing and not a monolith. Um, What is it, though? Um, You know, some of our black and brown people have chickens in Milton. True. You know? Yeah. Um, Some of our black and brown people come out and have waffles at my house. Right. (laughs) Yes. If they're lucky. If they're lucky. If they're lucky. Um, And some of our black and brown people, you know, like to, you know, sort of stay on their own and do their own thing and go hiking and, you know, are a little more introverted. And that's all great. And people are doing not only the like large community work of coming together and being amazing in groups, but like being amazing by themselves. That's so true. And I'm happy that you shed light 
on those walks of life too, those experiences too, because, um, yeah, for different reasons, I think folks, you know, find that Vermont is a good place to stay to yourself. You know what I mean? I think people of color and like white people, yeah, there, it does attract, um, people who like a bit of solidarity, you know what I mean? Solid solitude. Do you mean? Solitude is <laughs> is what I meant. Oh, okay, it's exactly what I, I meant. I like solidarity as well, but it's not the same. I so for a like very brief moment, I lived in a cow field in Topsom, Vermont, which is in Orange County. It's like way out in the middle of nowhere, mm. and I would go on like grinders coming back around to get me. I would go on grinder and you'd be like, "You're nearest person, 19 miles away." You know, so like, yeah. If you're living out there, like you got to enjoy a little bit of solitude cuz the nearest anybody gay is 20 miles away. Right. When do you feel most uh or when did you last feel Browning out. Oh, right here, right now. Oh, gosh. Okay. You're making me feel browning out. <laughs> um, I am so lucky that I get to spend so much of my time super out um, as both brown. What, what, how would you define super out? What does that mean? Super out. So, I mean, working at the Pride Center means mm-hmm. that, like, people assume I'm trans because I'm the trans program coordinator. And if they don't assume that I'm just as likely to tell them myself really quickly, um, back to the apps, my screen name there is usually like FTM or trans or something very like put it right out there in the beginning. Um, often actually, so I'm kind of racially ambiguous in Vermont. Um, because I guess in Vermont, South Asian people and maybe black people exist and migrant farm workers, but like Latino people who are not migrant farm workers are a little harder to come by, harder to see. I don't know. That's my synopsis of how people read me. So people often like look at me a little sideways and they're like, what are you? Mm. Which I'm sure you might be familiar with. <laughs> a little bit, sure, yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, I spend a lot of time being outwardly Latinx mm-hmm. as well. So, you know, every time somebody talks about like Christmas, I'm like, oh, like in Latino communities, or at least in the Caribbean, we don't do Christmas; we do Christmas Eve. You do Noche Buena, and you like roast a whole pig, and it's a whole big shebang. Anyway. So I get to be out in so many respects, um, and it is so it's it's a gift, um, because you know, sort of in contrast to when I was living in North Central Florida and very isolated, mm. um, I'm here and I say I'm trans, and then like three people are like, "Oh yeah, me too," you know. Um, somebody on staff actually just moved here from Michigan. And they were saying, like, why is there so much cool trans stuff happening in Burlington, Vermont? <laughs> like, <laughs> Thank God. Right? Thank there's, God. There's only 40,000 people in this town. Um, but we have our own trans conference every year. It's called TIC, 
we have two days a week. There's a trans-specific health clinic that does sliding scale work. Just for, like, you know, comparison's sake, when I lived in Portland, Oregon, they had a sliding scale trans health clinic. It was one night a month. Hmm. And it was booked out more than a year in advance. So we've got two days a week here. The size of Portland, Oregon at that time was slightly larger than the whole state of Vermont. Um, so like we randomly have a bunch of really awesome community in this tiny little nowheresville, which is my absolute favorite part of living here. Speaking of um, communities... Uh, like, I don't know if I've ever lived somewhere with queer and trans people of color meetups where just like people all meet up in somebody's living room and eat waffles and play Super Nintendo. But here we have it. But here we have it. It's real. You were really going hard on the Mario Kart. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that you are a great player, but you were a very strong advocate at least of the Mario Kart that night. Oh, was I? I, you know, Super Nintendo's a a good console. Bringing 1991 back. It brings people together is what it does. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else that you'd like to cover today? Or is there any um, special person or event that you want to shine light on oh no so many cool events happening um i would say to check the pride center calendar for any events i know we're having a brown and out cutie pock barbecue in the middle of the month i believe it's next weekend i think i think this is not going to make it to air by the time that happens well but that's so that's something to shout out uh whatever (laughs) um when is it going to make it to air? Um, like the day after. The day, I know. The day after our barbecue. I guess the, we had uh, a great barbecue. It was, you can't come to it. It was fabulous. <laughs> I guess more just really final messages, stuff that you would be like bummed out if you didn't say before you left. If I didn't in any say. context, in any context, anything. Okay, let me think. Um. One word that I took from reading something recently was surthrival, which is not just survival, but thriving. Um, And, you know, again, so actually one book that really changed my life was, um, oh, The Art of Tidying Up or... Oh, the life-changing magic yes. of tidying up. Yeah. It is life-changing magic. Um, and this... Because you hold something in your hand, <laughs> and if it don't bring you joy... It sparks joy. Get out of here. Right. Well, and that's so applicable to so many things in your life that, like, oh, like, this event or this person or this, you know, like, I can hold anything in my in my invisible like metaphorical hand hand. yes and say like does this spark does this bring joy in my life right is it like worth what i'm putting into it um so does it spark joy is a big question that i hope maybe people think about sometimes (laughs) it's been a treat speaking (laughs) with you today it really has oh thanks um 
I hope that you enjoyed it as well. I did. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I guess <laughs> that wraps up this episode of Brown and Out. It's been lovely speaking with you today, Sunshine. Lovely speaking with you.